The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. And good afternoon, good evening, depending where you are. This is Joe Schuldenrein speaking to you for uh, Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. I have to tell you that this is our second anniversary show, and because it is an anniversary show, and because this is sort of a time of reflection, uh, not necessarily coincident, but but certainly it is coincident with the uh, end of the Jewish holidays on reflection. Um, we are going to be talking about uh, where we have gone with this program and what we want to do with this program. Um, I'm excited about it. We started our first run called Indy's Footprint on September 21st, 2011. And if I recall back two years ago, it was a pretty difficult time. It was exciting, but nevertheless caused me a lot of angst and uh, hand-wringing because I really didn't know how to do this. But eventually, thanks to the station, thanks to my producer, Brandy Jackson, um, we were able to uh, work out a format, work out a scenario, and I'm very happy and pleased to report that our listenership has grown steadily. We started out with several hundreds, and now we're uh, well into the tens of thousands. I won't say many tens of thousands. We're averaging monthly somewhere between 10 and uh, 20,000 listeners based on the hits and clicks that are recorded uh, by the podcast broadcast. And uh, I don't know what that means, a podcast broadcast, but in any case, um, the number of people or the number of listeners that uh, collectively are listening to the program just keeps rising. We have stabilized it. We had stabilized at various points in time. I think this works sort of in quantum leaps. But I think that uh, what I'd like to do in this program is sort of to give you some information on what Uh, The types of programs are that viewers seem to like. We did do, my new intern did actually go on the social media networks, uh, Facebook, Twitter, 
and she surveyed the listenership to identify the types of programs that you like, the types of programs and the types of agendas you'd like to hear more of, some of which you don't want to hear. Um, we did this in the earlier stages of the broadcast. We tried to canvass the listenership, and not a whole lot has changed. I think that um, archaeology is a topic that is of a universal appeal. Uh, one of the topics that we had discussed and that I think is very important to bring out to the listenership is that as archaeologists, we are actually involved in serious scientific research most of the time. And we do get the reputation of being kind of geeky in many ways. And uh, very early on in my career, when I explained to someone that I was arche an archaeologist and I had assumed I was going to get a reaction, because you always do, um, the response was, wow, those people do such interesting stuff and they make it very boring. And that was one of the themes that drove me to try to make it more colorful, to draw, try and draw in a broader public, and to get away from the, the, the research that we do, not necessarily in terms of uh, disabusing us of, of the image of a research being sort of a dry topic, but trying to make it more applicable to applicable to a broader swath of, of, the, of people that are listening, because it's very, very easy, especially for practitioners and archaeologists who get very, very involved in their own particular type of research. It's very easy for them to compartmentalize and to get so deeply steeped in their own work that, in a sense, they're really not used to transmitting that information to any people other than their colleagues, and not necessarily just their colleagues in the academic world, but, but their colleagues who are uh, concentrated on their particular aspect of research, so that, for example, one of the uh, earlier episodes that we had done, let's just take an isolated example, is the site of Cahokia, which is a magnificent site in the Midwest of the United States and is uh, features the largest uh, humanly constructed mound in North America, but people who work in that area largely speak to each other. There is and has been certainly a trend over the past 20 years to undertake what's called public outreach, to expand the knowledge base and to communicate more closely with people who are actually funding a lot of our work and who are certainly interested on it on a very general level. And we as archaeologists have to sort of expand our own horizons and understand that just communicating with our colleagues in very formal, dry terms is not necessarily where we need to go in this profession. And we'll get into the communication element of this uh, as we go on in this program. It's, as you'll see later on in the show, this is probably our most important objective as archaeology goes forward, and that is communication with the public. But let me just uh, step back and uh, discuss with you a little bit of what our survey responses have been. Um, obviously, the surge in social media has tons to do with how we are perceived and how we transmit and how uh, the message that we want to project is actually absorbed by the listenership. So uh, I'd like to share some of that with you. Our sample is not very big. It's a uh, maximum several hundred people who are actually canvassed uh, over the past couple of days. That doesn't necessarily reflect the, the leadership, uh, the listenership, 
statistically, but it probably comes fairly close, given that several hundred would be a good percent sample from which to generalize. One of the uh, initial questions that we asked was how people have heard about the show, uh, and it turns out that most of the people have heard about the show from their friends. Now, that means that the message is getting out on social media to some degree, but by and large, it's going in the traditional word-to-mouth apparatus, if you will. That's how it's it's getting transmitted. Uh, we need to, certainly in our program, and, and certainly from our end, we need to get more involved in Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I do have a few interns who help out with that and basically pioneer this. It's one of those situations, social media, which uh, for me is, is, is not something that comes very easily because I don't normally do it. It's one of those things that they used to say. It's so very simple, however, that, that only young people can do it. So I give it I give it over to my interns and they do a really good job. And what I'd like to see, however, is to expand our range and to expand our audience to correspond apparently to what is now de rigueur is to see how archaeology uh, features features itself and is advertised in the news itself well what types of findings actually make it into the lead pages of uh, MSNBC onto the primary search engines, how how the major websites report on archaeological findings, and they certainly do almost on a weekly basis, and not necessarily hidden in a subhead of a subhead of a subhead. Sometimes they really get out front, and we have in the past certainly three or four months uh, gone directly on the websites, uh, extracted the key archaeological topics. Uh, made contact with the folks who have done the major excavations and we've reached out to them and lo and behold those are the shows that have actually garnered the largest listenerships so we are learning from that but by and large as I said getting back to the original topics most people have heard about the show through their friends whether or not that's Facebook whether or not that's Twitter I don't think I think it's just people pe- people talking to each other uh, about one of third of our listenerships tune in live which uh, doesn't sound right, actually, um, because the podcasts get a tremendous amount of listenership over a longer period of time. Uh, so I, I'd, I'd question that number. Uh, and, and certainly, and, and here's a number that I would probably be more uh, inclined to believe, people listen to only those shows that interest them. And uh, we had done a survey earlier on where we, we tried to get an idea of what people wanted to listen to. And it turns out that uh, people listen to what you expect. People are interested in what somebody from the outside and, and, and somebody that's not even necessarily involved in the field would assume they would be. And those are the major findings. So that the DNA studies that are giving us tremendous insights into human origins, those are clearly still up at the top of the list uh, when we're talking about things like early man, the transition to upright walking, the earliest tool manufacturers, the, sh- the, uh, the nature of uh, uh, the morphological changes in the skeleton or how skeleton shapes have changed, how facial features have changed, how people adjusted to their environments is something which we as archaeologists tend to look at automatically, but it turns out that the listenership is not really that interested in the connection between environmental change and and the evolution of human beings, but they're much more interested in the changes in the shape, how people look, when they they came down from the trees, when did they start, when did, did hominids actually become hominids 
and, and, and walk on two feet and adopt, adapt and adopt culture as a way of adjusting to the world, which, which is typically in, in, in most anthropological and archaeological circles, um, taken to be one of the major points that uh, documents the actual change from non, uh, non-human primates to humans. So those are topics that are interesting. Obviously, mummies, Egypt, cradles of civilization, the Maya calendar, uh, the earliest villages, the earliest writing. Those are the types of programs that fascinate people, have fascinated people over the long haul, and continue to fascinate them as, uh, as we go forward. Um, traditionally, archaeology had been taught uh, as emerging uh, as defining major changes in sort of the cultural continuum, if you will, villages and writing, as I said before, and the cradle of civilization, uh, which a lot of people associate with the Middle East, certainly remains a major topic. People who are familiar with the New World, certainly those of us who live in North or South America, um, are very intrigued by our own uh, shall we say early early humans in in uh, the new world arrivals question, and that's one that has certainly been the topic of several programs that we've had, and we've got a lot of feedback. When did the earliest um, migrations to North America and South America occur? Uh, is there what's known as a pre-Clovis culture, which is a research topic that has garnered a lot of uh, Following in the past few years, that's one that that, that clearly seems not never to have died off. In part because we're learning more and more about this as we go on. We've had a number of shows on that, and I will continue with uh, giving you some of the results of our survey after we uh, take this small break. Voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening. 
listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein, and we're back uh, in our two-year anniversary episode of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. And uh, we were talking about social media, the types of shows and programs that attract large followings. And getting back to the topic of social media for a second, my intern who did all the baseline research for this uh, asked me to sort of emphasize that most responders on the survey uh, claim that they learned about upcoming episodes and uh, any information related to the show, largely through Facebook. And uh, she wanted to emphasize that although Facebook does not necessarily play a huge role in attracting visitors, uh, it certainly plays a major role in uh, providing information about the show. And so if you don't have Facebook, you're kind of, you're kind of at a loss here. And you have to uh, sort of keep it going in order to maintain the continuity of the program. Uh, what other content would, would one like to see on social media pages? Well, apparently, as I said before, archaeology in the news is a big one. And uh, it only follows logically that if a topic, if an archaeological find it, thing makes it to the front pages of the New York Times website, the LA Times website, London, uh, the Daily Mail, or a variety of other different international monde in France, then those types of stories clearly have been hyped for a variety of reasons. The findings have had global and international significance, and very clearly those are topics for, for which the word, as they say, gets around. And as I said before, we have been very successful in getting some of the principal investigators for those excavations on the program. And in most cases, they've been very, very good, and they've provided the listenership with very intriguing information. Uh, just as an aside, uh, one of the per people, or no, not one of the people, several actually listeners, indicated that they wanted to know more about my operation, Geoarchaeology Research Associates, which I typically don't discuss, Although I will certainly take that into mind and keep that in mind and discuss in future shows, uh, certainly uh, archaeology in the private sector and how an archaeological company develops and uh, activates itself and finds projects and integrates itself into the world of archaeology as a business and not necessarily as a pure academic uh, structure within a, a purely academic structure is certainly an issue and a question that a lot of people want to know about and uh, I will I am planning to actually discuss that, uh, self-serving as that might sound, but there are a lot of archaeological companies. We have done a few shows on archaeology in the private sector, and certainly if uh, the listenership is interested in, in how you start up one of these things, I'm more, more than happy to oblige on that count. Um, the background of our archaeological listening pu public is, is very broad. There are, as one might expect, a lot of academics, a lot of students, certainly, and as I 
have said this in the in the past, and I'll say it again, that the studentship, if you will, or the population of students in our field is becoming increasingly more eclectic and diverse. We are, as our profession just expands its scope and its venues, uh, the students are looking more and more at archaeology in terms of communicating its message, trying to understand how archaeology fits into contemporary society. I'll talk about that in another segment. But the relationships between archaeology and the modern world are certainly uh, topics that uh, have found their way into our feedback loop here. And people are very interested in trying to understand the connection and the reality and the practicality of archaeology vis-a-vis the contemporary world. And that's something that uh, we will be doing more episodes about. And I will, as I said before, try to talk about that in my, in my last segment. <coughs> Excuse me. A lot of uh, listeners are very interested in what we call the nuts and bolts of archaeology. How is it done? How do you find a site? How do you excavate a site? How do you know when a site is important and what it what it has uh, potentially? What what can it yield about uh, behavior in the historic or prehistoric past? And obviously, a lot of people are interested in the archaeology of their own particular regions. So, if you live in a particular part of the country uh, or a different a certain part of the world, then you're obviously more drawn to the archaeology of your part of the world. Um, and that's only a natural marriage, and uh, we have talked about that. Some of uh, the most uh, dominant episodes to date, that was a question that we circulated, what are, what are some of the most interesting topics that we had? And um, uh, some of the ones that jumped out, and, and these are not necessarily in order of, of uh, decreasing uh, numbers, but certainly in terms of, of, of appeal, the ones that, that really drew a large uh, leadership, uh, uh, listenership is not surprisingly a uh, program on ancient beer, uh, curation, how artifacts are stored and de- dealt with, uh, the difficulties of doing archaeology in dangerous parts of the world. We had a very intriguing program with Dr. Sandra Lopez in, in Mexico, and she talked about the dangers of doing archaeology in parts of Mexico, especially in those areas where uh, the drug wars are, are uh, being conducted. Uh, the episode on the Oriental Institute, the ancient, uh, the center, one of the central repositories of artifacts and research of ancient civilization, that was uh, a major topic and one that drew a lot of appeal. Uh, illicit antiquities, the antiquities trade, smuggling, um, the illegal transport and commerce undertaken. Uh, from artifacts that come from many third world countries and get marketed in Europe and, and North America uh, to museums. That history is something of, of extreme interest. And uh, another episode that drew a very wide following was a piece we did on concentration camps during the Nazi period and how contemporary archaeological work is uncovering information about the concentration camps that were not information that is not widely known today as time goes by. Certainly, even though we have wonderful and and very detailed historic records, um, the archaeology reveals uh, elements and aspects of the concentration camps that uh, have not been recorded otherwise uh, in the archives. Uh, who would one like to see on the show? 
I think that is a topic that we have not paid as close attention to as we, we should have. Um, popularizers of archaeology and popularizers, popularizers if I, if I uh, mispronounce, sorry, are uh, controversial topics in the com- professional community. Uh, it's only natural and it's probably not a very healthy one, but we need to bring out that conflict because uh, it sort of reminds me of the old controversy that those of us who are over 50 remember when Carl Sagan came into the scene and, and popularized astronomy and a lot of professionals said, well, you know, he's just uh, scratching the surface and he's not really getting into the depths of what astronomy means and what the stars and the planets are all about. And yet, this kind of information promotes so much interest that it had actually inspired a new new generation of astronomers to take to the field and to expand the extent of public outreach and to inform the public in ways that uh, communicated the message of astronomy and we've done the same thing uh, in our case what we tried to do is to utilize the image of Indiana Jones who uh, as, an, as a swashbuckling adventurer certainly does not communicate or transmit the real imp- uh, the real image the real rea- well the reality of the archaeologist but portrays a, an image that's certainly very captivating and one that draws one's attention into the into the field and that turns out to be the most important single element of anything is to capture someone's attention and archaeology is readily absorbed by a lot of people that just the curiosity just takes over and if it takes the image of Indiana Jones well so be it if, if if anything, we spend some time debunking the myth and getting people interested into the actual content of what it is that we do. And uh, that that initial program did a lot for getting the show off the ground. And so now we're going to bring in some featured guests, uh, people, uh, popularizers who, who have done magnificent types of work, not necessarily scientifically sound, if you will, but people like Jared Diamond have done a tremendous service to the field by just drawing in the controversy and bringing out the issues and providing alternative uh, models, if you will, for the human condition and how cultures survive and what catastrophes are all about and how the catastrophes of the of the past provide some indications on how to cope with the future certainly in an age of global warming those are the types of lessons that we certainly need to bring out into a forum into a public forum for debate so uh, those are the types of shows we're going to try to do we're going to try to bring uh, panels together of people who are informed and knowledgeable about the issues and bring them uh, on stage with the folks who are actually transmitting this information, uh, controversial as it may be, to the public. And, and we'll leave it to the public to make that decision, to the listenership to judge uh, on the merits of the, uh, of the arguments themselves, very much like uh, presidential debates that are held in front of uh, a forum where people are allowed to ask questions and certainly you Using our uh, social networking system, Facebook, Twitter, uh, we have the ability to do that. And that's, of course, where we got the survey information that I'm reporting about today. That's where we got it from. Uh, again, a panel interviews we think is going to be a very, very key element going forward. Um, we're going to try to put those together and bring in, uh, as I said before, folks who have written extensively about the, uh, the, the, this topic in, in, uh, in popular terms together with, with the academics who actually do primary research on it. And I think that will be a very intriguing forum for people to actually um, 
embrace and to uh, to understand what the nature of many of the controversies are. There are certainly are lots of controversies on human origins, lots of controversy, obviously, on religion, politics, topics that uh, many people say are taboo. But archaeology is sort of a very, very sort of open-ended kind of a discipline that allows for this type of discussion to proceed and to go forward and I think those are the types of things that we do want to entertain and that we do want to open up and certainly a feedback on Facebook and Twitter is very welcome in that regard and I will continue with my analysis and discussion of our survey of our listenership after we take a couple of short breaks and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Michelle Core Six Degrees is your connected consciousness. Six Degrees is what comes around, goes around radio. Committed to delivering a fresh perspective on thought-provoking, investigative information that can change your life. Six Degrees connects you to the social and emotional scene and is your trusted advisor from finance to romance, mainstream to metaphysical. It's a positive, upbeat look at life, love, and the pursuit of passion. Get connected Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Adoption changes a family forever for the adopters as well as the adoptees. There are many adjustments that need to be made from lifestyle to financial and the personal rewards are unlimited. Listen every week for Your Adoption Coach with Kelly Ellison. We will examine in detail such topics as international and domestic adoption. We will talk with adoption professionals and hear stories about real families adopting. If you've been thinking about adoption or recently began the process, you'll want to tune in to be inspired every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra georg.com. Now, back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein back with our second anniversary version of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. And as we've been discussing, we had canvassed the listenership for some feedback and some suggestions for how we might improve the program, the types of shows and programs that people would like to hear what the topics are, what topics are not that popular. Uh, I did actually talk about the topics that were very popular. I should actually, uh, I suppose, bring the negative in with the positive. And, and, and I think since uh, we certainly don't set up 
the programs with an idea of creating a negative topic, I think we certainly have to be very attentive to what people want to listen to. And uh, since this is basically my program, the topics that I do pick, yes, they are in many cases dictated by the listenership. But I also want to take a stab at trying to impart what I think are important topics and bring them out to the public and uh, whether or not they get absorbed favorably or not that's a function certainly of how we do the we do the show and how we bring in these topics and for lack of a better word how we spin them um, I think these are major topics that don't necessarily have a lot of appeal. And uh, I guess one of the requests that I would make for the listenership is to tell me how to make these topics more appealing. And, and, and a couple of examples that, that I think are really critical is archaeology and the law. Now, here in the United States, we do have what's known as compliance archaeology and basically a dictate, if you will, or, or, well, it's not dictate, it's legislation that mandates that archaeology be done whenever a public undertaking or a public construction project or a venue of that nature that's funded by public funds, whenever that gets done, there's a reasonable likelihood that some archaeology will get done there if it has it is uh, demonstrated that the uh, location in which this project is being done has a potential for uh, unearthing information that is uh, of significance. Significance, of course, being a very problematic word, and it has uh, a different meaning in legal t- in legal terms than it does in terms uh, that are normally understandable to the layperson. So that um, archaeology is done because of legal reasons in many cases, and we have to transmit that information to the public. Now, the ins and outs of the law are not the sorts of things that anybody has been able to popularize and, and, and make uh, very appealing. And we're confronted with the same situation with, of course, the archaeological filter that you would normally assume, well, maybe the archaeology is going to make those legalistic terms seem much more vivid and, and talk to people. And to some degree they do. And I think it's a unique challenge for us to to convey that information and to uh, project the the image that if it were not for legal requirements, a lot of the historical background and prehistoric background, certainly in this country and in many others, uh, would not be transmitted and a lot of these findings would not be made. Um, and each nation is different. Each country has different antiquities laws. Um, but certainly one of our challenges is to make those topics palatable and to provide that information because ultimately it's the public for pays for archaeological excavations way more than any research institution. I think the proportion, uh, certainly here in the United States, uh, of how much archaeology gets funded by the public versus the private sector um, or research institutions or uh, scientific organizations like the National Science Foundation, that proportion is something like 90 to 10 percent. 90 in, in, in terms of, of, of compliance, uh, publicly funded projects versus 10% for uh, private uh, foundations and research organizations, be they governmental or private, that, uh, that fund pure research. So those numbers are staggering, and it is our job to make that connection 
between um, what has to be done in terms of archaeology and what is actually done and why it's done. We have to transmit that message. And if we have made it too boring, that's on us. In other words, that's on the professional community. We have to convey that. Most archaeologists who do go graduate school and, and, and obtain uh, advanced training uh, will end up in that sphere of archaeology. They will be, be doing archaeology that's mandated by legislation. They'll find wonderful things and they'll do uh, very, very professional work, but nevertheless, the reasons that they're undertaking that work is because it's a legal requirement. And so we have to be able to convey that message to the listening public so that they understand what their tax dollars very often goes for. And uh, we have not done that well. I mean, it's again, it's very hard to do that in many cases. You would think that as archaeologists who tell stories and who reconstruct past scenarios, we would be better at it than many other people. But the fact of the matter is that the law has been the law for uh, for quite a while, but it hasn't really been that much of a, a major legal requirement for more than 40, 50 years. And we have to do a better job at that. Um, a lot of people don't realize, for example, that uh, the oil and gas industry, for example, is responsible for more than 50 or 60 percent of the archaeological funding that uh, that gets funneled through the United States because of the gas pipelines that run underneath the ground and have the potential of disturbing ancient uh, Native American sites, ancient historic colonial sites, or uh, Spanish and French settlements. Uh, colonial settlements, those are the uh, financiers, if you will, of most of the archaeology in the country. So uh, we will be doing a five-part series on the archaeology of pipelines, and it's one of my challenges, and certainly my team's challenges, to try to put that program in some kind of an attractive package so that people will really understand or why this kind of work is done, what kind of archaeology is, is, uh, comes, for, uh, comes from these projects, and uh, how the funding system works, and how the regulatory process works, and, and how we get from assessing uh, the relative importance of a site or the significance of a site uh, as one that has to be excavated versus one that uh, maybe does not have to be exposed and is either not significant enough to be considered or needs to be preserved in place. And these are very, very delicate legal questions that we have to wrestle with as archaeology and we have to convey that message in, in, the, uh, in the best possible way and in a way that actually promotes understanding and curiosity on the part of the listening public. That said, um, again, I, I can't emphasize enough how important social media is to the success of our show and to the themes that we discuss because of the feedback. One of the interesting things that I am noticing is that the relative proportion of our listenership that comes from overseas is increasing, albeit slowly. I mean, we are, as in, in many situations here in North America or the United States, we are uh, somewhat North American-centric in many ways, although many of our topics are clearly international. But uh, I would say that about 80% of our listenership is in uh, North America. But that's, uh, that's getting reduced by an increase in, uh, in listenership from a number of other countries, uh, specifically uh, the countries that are best represented, not surprisingly, the United Kingdom, Egypt, India, Canada, Brazil, Australia, Greece, Turkey and Germany, it would it would be nice to get a, a broader listenership in Asia and in Africa and and parts of South America. Uh, one of the most unique findings I think that 
that we've come away with here is that uh, the city with the greatest number of listeners is actually Cairo. And uh, that is something. And I don't mean Cairo, Illinois. I mean Cairo and Egypt. Um, and uh, I had been in Egypt about a year ago, and uh, I actually ran into a number of people in the archaeological community because I, I did uh, speak with them in this uh period of turmoil that they're undergoing there, which very, very clearly and, and very directly impacts the uh, archaeological infrastructures in that country. But I did speak to people who were very aware of the program and had been listening uh, quite extensively. And uh, not surprisingly, the second largest listenership is from New York City, which is where we're based, and um, certainly the largest city in, in North America, and uh, followed by a relatively large listenership in London, and some in Mumbai, uh, Bombay, in, in, in India. And uh, we are expanding our reach, and, and I think uh, international listenership is, is a major, uh, major part of our audience because we do a lot of, uh, we, we attract a, a tremendous amount uh, a tremendous number of researchers from those parts of the world, and I've certainly worked in, in many of these countries as well, and we will continue to do so. I think we want to be less U.S.-centric. Uh, we want to get um, our international audience appropriately represented by the topics that we discuss, and we have done that. We uh, have done a number of programs for international venues, uh, a recent one of which was a program on the World Archaeology Congress, uh, which was uh, uh, highly, highly uh, listened to. Um, we've been doing a lot of, uh, lot of broadcasts, fortunately or unfortunately, on the archaeology of war and conflict, because uh, many of the countries in this world, so some of the countries that have the most intriguing, fascinating, and amazing treasures archaeologically are war-torn countries. So we've done a program on Iraq. Uh, we've done a number of programs on uh, Egypt, um, which is now undergoing, obviously, a lot of turmoil. And we uh, continue to do that. We did a program on the World Trade Center catastrophe in New York City. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the parallels between um, catastrophes, disasters, and um, those types of tragedies that we're experiencing now are not without precedent. The archaeological record is full of situations where uh, the past really does teach us a lot about the future. And I think one of the themes that I want to close with in our, our next and final segment relates to the relevance of archaeology uh, to contemporary situations, now probably more than ever, as uh, we're experiencing two uh, massive phenomena that, um, I won't say they're unprecedented, but they certainly recall past periods where there was certainly a lot of disaster, and a lot of that disaster was generated by climate change, and we'll be delving into those two issues when we come back after these messages. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? 
You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris, real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story. Coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses, while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Joe Schuldenrein. I'm back with our final segment on uh, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and, and 21st Century Archaeology. And this is our special second anniversary program. I forgot, negligently on my part, to thank the loyal listenership that we have developed over the years, over these past two years, uh, for sp- supporting us and for sustaining the program, for helping us move and grow in numbers as well as in quality, I hope. And uh, it's really been exciting. I, I look forward to continuing in this venue. I think it's a, a wonderful way for uh, me, certainly, and hopefully members of my professional community to convey their message of what archaeology is to the general public. We are so used to, as I'd indicated before, we are so used to transmitting our information within very small circles of researchers and students and uh, people who get involved in the minutia and the lacuna of, uh, of, of specifics and, and the type of details that really uh, relate to our specific areas of in- influence research-wise, but don't really have that much uh, significance for people from the uh, let's, for lack of a better word the outside world who are just interested in archaeology for the greater picture which is where I think we really need to draw our attention to we have to, we have to reach out to the public we have to convey our message to larger populations and venues because the sad fact of it is that in this age of sustainability the resources, the finances and the availability and, and, and capability that we have of drawing on funds to uh, sustain our operations are diminishing and we have to rely more and more on, um, on the interest of the public 
to sustain our interests. The, the age of the large scientific uh, funding institutions is gone, at least gone for the time being. And as archaeologists, we have to convince the world that what we do is significant and relevant and uh, we're doing that I think I think we're getting much better at communication and and probably more important than that or as important of that is to draw the connections between what happened to the past as sort of a barometer or indicator of what will happen in the future so that for example uh, questions that we're talking about in this day and age disasters and climate change those are issues that have raised their heads before on different scales and on a variety of different locations that vary. But there's no question that climate has, call, has caused catastrophe in the past. And we know the relationship between changing climates, rising sea levels, and uh, the adjustments and the tragedies that occur to people who live um, in areas that are susceptible to those types of changes. Dramatic climatic changes invariably do occur. They've occurred in the past. Uh, disastrous events like earthquakes, volcanoes occurred in the past, and we know what the telltale signals are. We have indicators, scientific indicators, that uh, right now predict better than ever when these types of events will occur. There are thresholds that we have measured in the past. When vegetations change, there is a signal that climate is changing and that it can change to a point where it's actually going to affect how people adjust to their environments. And now that we're in a period where climatic change is so monstrously, if you will, affected by the amount of pollution and uh, carbon, uh, carbon discharge into the atmosphere, where it's, it's incontrovertible that, that this is what's affecting um, the quality of air and the ozone layer, and it's affecting our ability to make adjustments um, and to survive in environments that are being affected by air and water pollution, uh, that, that we can learn from, from what's happened in the past. And we can learn from, and the past is not so, not so distant. It, it is distant in many cases, and it's less distant in the more uh, recent scenarios where, where climatic events have caused major adjustments. And we know. I mean, we have the indicators, we have the curves, we have, uh, we have the changes in the uh, components and the composition of the, earth, of the earth, the atmosphere, and the water that are telling us uh, when we're reaching thresholds that are simply unsustainable. And archaeology will tell us about that. So um, what I'm saying is that archaeology does have a tremendous amount to teach us about the future. And... Um, we have to draw on those lessons and transmit those to the public because in that sense, we will be affecting the public good. And those are the types of archaeological projects that will be funded in the future when the public understands, I think, that we need to know, uh, we need to know about past, past history so we don't repeat itself. And, and when um, climatologists get on the airwaves and tell you that um, if the ozone layer is penetrated too badly or if the concentration of hydrocarbons and, and carbon byproducts in the air is too high to sustain a healthy atmosphere, we have to listen to that because it has happened in the past as well. 
and uh, there are climatic events that have uh, that have disrupted equilibrium in various societies. And, and and one of the classic cases, and we discussed this in one of our programs, is that rising sea level, for example, uh, affects the way people settle and the types of resources that uh, they're able to use. Um, so that in to take a very classic case. In the late Pleistocene, or when the ice ice caps started to melt, the rate of sea level rise was very, very rapid. And when it was that rapid, people actually had to escape into the interior of the continents so that they could uh, go back to resources uh, whose distribution were affected by rising seawater or sea levels, and that's because sea uh, the sea is highly saline, uh, has a lot of salt, and the types of vegetation that once occupied the coast once occupied the coast, all of a sudden those resources diminished and they migrated towards the interior. Well, that means that people had to migrate towards the interior and they had to move relatively fast, and cultures uh, stabilized on coastal areas when sea levels started to stabilize, when the rate of sea level rise diminished. Those are the types of lessons that teach us the relationship between nature and, and population expansion and population adjustments, if you will, so that when the rates of sea level sl- rise slowed, um, people were able to make longer-term adjustments. They were able to change their seasonal uh, crop-growing schedules to make those adjustments. That's the type of information that we have to use today. Now, what's happening today is that the rate of sea level rise is increasing dramatically because of human activity. So that those doomsday, well, well, those doomsday scenarios, while they're probably, uh, I'm sure that to some degree they're exaggerated, that's arguable, but certainly a rapid rise in sea level will cause incredible changes to uh, to the to the uh, geography of the coastline, and as opposed to periods in the past when it was relatively easier to to transfer yourself landward and to change your community and to change infrastructures because they not weren't that developed to move them farther inland. Can you imagine what it would be like to move the entire uh, center of New York City inland? It's amazing. You can't do it. And so we have to take these uh, – Hurricane Sandy is a classic case in point for this part of the world. Um, the Dutch have been dealing with these types of situations for quite a long time, and they have uh, they've constructed uh, portable barriers, uh, invested billions of dollars in, in that type of infrastructure because they learned from their experiences being a lowland for a very, very long time since the earlier rises in sea level that this is what has to be done. So these are the types of lessons that – we can take from archaeology, and uh, they are have they they do have precedent, and they give us guidelines on how to make the adjustments and and how to plan for uh, climates that are certainly not in recent memory anything that we can base on, that we can we can base our adaptive strategies on. So again, archaeology the wedding between archaeology. And uh, and sustainability is something that is natural because it has uh, basically guided the movement of human populations forever. 
and it will guide the movement of human populations in the future. And the more we're able to assimilate those lessons, the better off we'll be, and probably our survival to, to a large degree is at stake on that. And I don't, don't want to end this program on that very sad note. I think hopefully smarter and greater minds will prevail and we'll be able, certainly, since we do have more science at our backs, uh, we will be able to make these plans, and the question is, will the politicians follow suit and absorb these lessons and uh, make these changes in time? Sometimes I wonder if that's going to happen, but I try to be hopeful, and certainly I want to leave you with the message that archaeology, is the lessons of archaeology are certainly uh, applicable to the future. And on that note, I want to thank everybody for supporting us over these past two years, and we're looking forward to transmitting more episodes going forward. Thanks for your listenership, thanks for your time, and we'll see you next week. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.